Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Romans chapter 8, right there in verse 1. It's going to be one of many verses. This is another Bible study where taking notes will be important because we're going to cover a lot of territory as we study together three biblical ways to deal with your past. Three biblical ways to deal with your past. If there's something we all share in common today is that we all have a past. All of us have a past. Now, of course, your past may not be as bad as mine. And mine was pretty bad. I made a lot of bad, sinful decisions in life. I hurt a lot of people along the way. I made a lot of excuses, which only made things worse. But your past may not be that bad. Well, whether it's a difficult past like mine, or you just had a difficult week that's now in your past. You know, difficult weeks, just if you had a difficult week, if you don't learn how to respond well to a difficult week, that could be the point in your life where you become stuck the rest of your life, where then you look back 20 years ago, and you know, I know what it's like. It was that week. And God doesn't want us to have these pain points in our lives where we don't move forward. And as followers of Jesus Christ, the good news is, is that by the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ, our sins have been judged and forgiven, our past, our present, and even our future. The Bible says in Isaiah 44, verse 22, I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions, and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. In the psalm we read today, Psalm 103, verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. It's glorious to know that our sins can be forgiven. I think it's important right at the outset to deal with this issue known as sin. Because there are some, I'm sure, listening to me right now, you go, you know, I'm not that bad, Pastor, and I don't even really like the word sin, and, and I understand that perspective. That's not an unusual perspective, but it's not the right perspective. Let me, let me paint it differently for you. What if we replace the word sin with mistakes? Would you be more prone to follow along with me if, if you could just agree with me, as we all know, that you've made mistakes in life? Has anyone made mistakes? Give me an Amen. Amen. That we've all made mistakes. I mean, there isn't any one of us that we can stand here, you know, I got a perfect life and I've done everything right. And no, there's a Bible word for that attitude. It's called self-righteousness, where you think far too highly of yourself. Of course, we've all made mistakes. Some of them very, very small. Some of them very large. Our mistakes have affected people that we love. They've hurt them. Our mistakes have affected people we don't even know. And so mistakes, yes, of course. And so what do we do with our mistakes? That's something I want to answer for you today because here's the bridge. You ready? What we call mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And it's actually worse than just the mistakes. It's actually a worse condition. As hard as our mistakes are, sin elevates 
the severity of these bad decisions that we've made. And the Bible uses the word sin to describe it. And you know, with sin, there isn't anything that we can do to get rid of it. There isn't anything that we can do to run away from it. We're just left with it in a hopeless condition. That is until we understand the love of God. He sees our hopeless condition and he makes a way of escape for us. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. You see, friends, you see, church, this is a serious topic because we all have a past. Some worse than others for sure, but it's something we share together. And if your past is not as bad as mine, I'm happy for you. There's many things in life that I regret. I regret deeply. Things I wish I would have never, ever done. But God has given me a pathway away from them. He's taken a broken life and he's put it back together, even greater than I would have ever expected. And he can do the same with you. Whether it's a past like mine or I'm sure if it's not, there's, there's something in our lives that we wish that you could just wipe away. You know, like if your life was a book and you could just rip that chapter out, you would do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, why, why is your book from chapter four and chapter six? Yeah, it's because I don't like chapter five, you know. <laughs> we were just going to move right on. And you know, God is able to do that. But you don't have to rip it off. God can redeem it. And he can give great value. And I know God's going to use it because the Bible says that God's working all things together for the good, for those that love him, those that are called according to his purpose. And you know, whenever you hear that sound, you just thank God for the men and women that stand in the gap for our freedom. Don't you ever forget them. They can, they can fly over Aurora as much as they want. <laughs> they can hover around, but if they would do it at 1245, that would be better. <laughs> <laughs> so, it leaves, the, leaves us with the question, what do we do? Let me give you three things if you're taking notes. You ready? Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. It's Philippians chapter 3. What do I do with my past? Well, number one, you forget it. Number one, you forget your past. I want to show you a man who learned how to apply this principle. We know him as Paul the apostle, but we met him as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus made many, many sinful decisions in his life that he clearly regrets that he dealt with the rest of his life. We met him in Acts chapter 9 uh, as he was transformed and renewed, and we learn about his life as he writes in the rest of the Bible, episodes in his life. And these things clearly bothered him. These things clearly in his life, these sinful mistakes carried along through his life, yet he didn't stay there. God moved him and used him in great ways, even with the angry, hated, murderous past. He was filled with anger and hatred, destroying families. And he had it a part of his past, still moving forward. God was able to change this man, even as God is able to change you. When you're in Philippians chapter 3, I draw your attention there to verse 12. And notice what Paul has to say here about his own life. He says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, 
but I press on. And listen, church, little by little, you've got to learn how to press on, move forward. I don't want you to mistake that phrase with get over it. That's not what I'm saying. Some things in our lives we'll never get over, but we can move forward and we must press on. There is still much life to live, no matter what our past might be. So he says, I press on so that I might lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. And here he reduced it down. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget your past. At this point, so early on in the Bible study, you know, you could be thinking there, you know, that's simplistic, Pastor. That's simplistic. That, that you don't understand. And, and these are just simplistic platitudes from the pulpit of another church. And here is where I want to warn you. I don't want you to confuse two things. There is a significant difference between something that's simplistic and something that's simple. Simplistic, I would agree with you. I don't want to give you anything that is simplistic and, and it is really lacks meaning and doesn't really take into account all the layers of trauma, all the layers of difficulty. And you're just like, oh, you know, read two verses and call me in the morning. That's simplistic. And that's not real good counsel. Don't confuse simplistic with simple. Simple just means it's not complicated. That's all. The answers to our problems are not complicated. They're not simplistic either, but they are profoundly simple. So that when I suggest to you one of the solutions of dealing with your past is to forget it, I mean it. You need to learn to forget your past. Now, Paul says it here in the New King James Version, forgetting those things that are behind. But again, the New Living Translation just says it straight up. Forget your past. This one thing I do, when it comes to my past, I don't dwell on it. When it comes to my past, I don't dwell on it. And there's two verbs that I want you to have connected to your past. First of all, you need to learn to release your past. And then secondly, you need to learn to reach forward. There is a higher calling in your life in Christ than your past. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ, to those who walk in the Spirit, those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You release the past and you reach to the future. And you are unable, I am unable to reach toward the future when I'm clinging to the past. It's impossible. Paul says, I forget those things in the past so I can press on and press toward the goal that God has for me. We might say it in Christian language, you get your eyes off yourself and you get your eyes on the Lord. That's what he's saying here. I want to remember the good things and I want to forget the bad things. Now, again, simplistic would mean you'll never remember it again. This is simple. It's not simplistic. You know, when you, it's not like God's going to erase your memory. It's not like you're going to have a complete forgetting of your past. Truly, we've learned in our previous studies that, God will, that the enemy will often use the past against you. So it's not like you're going to completely no longer ever the rest of your life remember the things in your past. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is I'm going to choose that whenever the past comes up, I'm not going there. I'm not dwelling on it. 
It is not going to define me. My definition of life is in Christ, not in the past. So there's a word here. Notice we see it in the, in the English language here in verse 13. They translate that Greek word forgetting. That's the active tense. So what that tells us is this is an ongoing action. So you can redefine it this way. You need to learn how to actively forget the past. It's similar to how God responds to our past. God is all-knowing. And so when he talks about forgetting our sins, it's not as if God is no longer all-knowing. But rather, he chooses, in forgetting, he chooses not to remember them against us. It's a similar choice that you and I need to make. We need to choose not to dwell in the past and therefore learn how to actively forget. I found that the only times that I can't forget my past, because this can be a real battle for me, a layer upon layer upon layer of damage that I have done to myself in the many years I lived apart from Christ. The only time I, f- I can't forget my past is when I choose to dwell on it and hang around it. And if past doesn't relate to you well, just think about, think about the way we describe it today, that you enter into a new relationship, you enter into a new church, you enter into a new season of life, you enter into something new with a lot of baggage. Your baggage is almost all filled with your past. And God is saying, look, I've got a new thing for you. I'm going to do a new work in you. You're born again. You're in Christ. Your past does not define you. It does not define you. If I let myself drown in sorrow and grief, playing it over and over in my mind, then it'll just bury me. I'll be stuck there. The reality is is that those who choose not to forget tend to stay in one place their entire lives, pitifully unwilling to move forward. This is where it's important to identify the real trap of victimhood, which is really celebrated in our culture today. People are they're stuck with a new identity, and their new identity is victimhood. And that's who they are. But that's not so for the believer in Christ. You, 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 your identity is not in victimhood. Your identity is in Christ. Now listen, that's not to say that you haven't been a victim or that serious traumatic things have, haven't happened to you. Of course they have. And it's okay to use that word. Like, I'm a victim of a crime. I'm a victim of pain. I'm a victim of abuse, of course. But if you don't choose to forgive, then you're going to be stuck there. Are you guys with me? You don't want to be stuck there. You don't want to be identify yourself by that one moment in time or that one season in time or that pain that you just can't get over. Like, you, you aren't stuck in victimhood. There is healing available in Jesus Christ. There is comfort and help, which is at this point, there are those listening who go, you know what, Pastor, you just don't understand. Because if you understood, you wouldn't be saying things like that. I've heard that before, and I've heard that before, and I'm, I'm, let, me, let me just pause you so that perhaps I can gain a little more of your trust. Look, look, the truth of God's word does not depend upon me understanding your situation. So it's not true that if I just understood. Do you know what? I will never understand the pain that you've gone through, ever. I'll never fully understand it. 
I, I, I don't know what it's like to live the life that you lived in the home that you lived with the situation. I, I don't know. The best that I can offer you and what I do offer you is empathy, a listening ear, a prayerful heart. I, I mean, I might be able to understand a little bit more if you shared with me. I might be able to understand because maybe there's some shared experiences and grief or something. I might be able to do that. But the best that I can do is offer you empathy, walk alongside of you, pray for you, and point you to the one who does know. But if you sit through Bible studies the rest of your life upset with a pastor or somebody, you don't understand, you don't understand. It's true I don't understand. But that shouldn't prevent you from walking forward by faith in Jesus Christ. Because even if I did understand you, it still leaves before you. You've got to still take a step of faith. You're still going to have to obey God. And, and you're right. I may not have this sense where I, I don't know what you went through, but I'm t- I do know this. You can't live the rest of your life identifying yourself as a victim. God has done great things for you. And he wants to take you forward. You have to learn to actively forget and move forward. Move forward. Because the, the root of condemnation and being stuck is looking backwards. Remember these Bible studies, they're built upon a previous Bible study. So if this is resonate for you, that series is up on, the, on our website where I did the study identifying condemnation, those that beat themselves up, those that get stuck and can only think of their failures. And there's, there's great freedom from that. That's a different Bible study altogether. It's also in the book, uh, in the book form as well. But here's the thing. When you look back, it's only going to bring condemnation. When you look back, the enemy loves for us to look back, to go deep into our past. Let's dig deep and deep and deep so we, our eyes can be focused on our sin and our failure and everything that we are, whether it's my sin or someone else's sin. But God wants us to move forward. He wants us to see hope, that there's something beyond the pain. And you know, church, it's possible to move forward and hurt at the same time. It's possible to move forward and still carry pain with you and still have, you know, and it's funny because we make these things up and it makes us feel worse because we look back at our past and I used to say this phrase a lot. I try not to anymore, but it's like, you know, it's very common. It's like, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't make the same mistakes. You don't know that. You can have all the knowledge that you have today and still be a knucklehead back then. How would you know what you would have done? You don't know. And so you just, even though it has a nice little, that's, you know, talk about cliches and platitudes, that's one of them. Because then it makes you feel really bad. Oh, I wish I would have got saved earlier. I wish I, you can't. And we don't know what we would have done. The best thing to do is say this, I am so glad that I know what I know now so I will never make that sinful mistake again. That's the way to handle the future. Forget your past. Number two, turn over to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. A familiar passage in the Bible. It's commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son, but it actually, you know, that's not... That's not inspired by God, right? Those little subtitles. This actually isn't the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of the loving dad. We got, it, we, we got the focus all wrong. Even though there is a dad and there are a couple sons, the focus is not on the son. The focus is on dad. And I'll show you what I mean. Pick up with me, Luke 15. And I think we're going to start there in verse 20. No, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, 
Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal, and that word literally means wasteful, prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let's eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, so he said to one of the servants, what's going on? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad because your brother was dead. He's alive again and was lost and is found. Forgiveness is a healthy key in dealing with your past. Forgiveness, so important. You need to learn how to forgive your past. You might hear this phrase in, in our culture, you need to learn how to forgive yourself. You need to learn how to forgive yourself. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't use that phrase like our culture does. Our culture uses that phrase like you're the most important person, that you have the power to forgive yourself, you can create your own destiny, and you can do, you're the captain of your own ship, and you just forgive yourself like it all depends upon you. That's not what the Bible teaches. We forgive because of what God has forgiven us. We learn forgiveness because we realize we need to be forgiven. When you learn how to forgive yourself, it, biblically, the Bible defines that as receiving the forgiveness of your father. And when it comes to your past, you need to receive the forgiveness of your father. In the parable here, again, many people focus on the sons, but, but as much as they're focused on the sons, this is about dad. This is about a loving father who is a type and a picture of our heavenly father. Nine times, no less than nine times that I have it circled in my Bible, father, 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 father. The focus is on the father. There are two sons, and let me say, everyone in the room today is one of those two sons. One of those two sons. You're either broken and humble because of your own sin or you're self-righteous and not broken and hard. You're one of the two. There's not a third option. There's nothing in the middle. So you have this young son, you know, to understand the significance of how bad this is, you got to understand when he asked for his 
when he asks for his inheritance, he's basically looking at his dad and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I would get what's going to come to me when you would die. That's basically what he's saying. I want my inheritance now. I don't really care about my relationship with you, Dad. I just want some money. I want to get out of this place. I want to go check out the world. I want to live my life. And what does Dad say? Exactly what our Heavenly Father says. Go ahead. You can have it all. I don't need it. I don't want it. It's yours. And notice, if you didn't notice this before, it says in verse 12, he gave both his sons their inheritance. So now he's broke. He's just got his house. He gives it both away. He says, that's what you guys want. Go ahead. One son, of course, goes to the city, lives it up. What we would call, he parties. He gets into it all, drunken parties and friends till the money runs out. Then he loses all those so-called friends. Then a famine hits, and then he's stuck. He's stuck, so he goes and gets a job a good Jewish boy would never get, feeding pigs, and he sits there evaluating his life. See, he left his dad's house, he left Israel, he left home, but he also left his senses. He left his common sense. It was a foolish thing that he did. But he was in that stage where nobody could explain it to him. He was going to do it. He had to learn, and learn it on his own. As he heads out, he finds himself feeding pigs, and it, the Bible says here that when, verse 17, he came to himself, it brought him to the end. You know, we just had that prayer time and will be a regular time of prayer for prodigals, son, daughter, moms, dads, whatever, as they've walked away from the faith. You know, the prayer sometimes as a parent, some of you are praying this right now, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, God, bring them to the place where they understand your great love. But you notice in the parable, we're not going to go, we can't go through verse by verse, I don't have enough time, but you notice in the parable that he began to assess his situation. And he began to assess his situation, and he changed his own identity. Did you notice that? I said, I'd rather go back as a servant. Servants are better. He doesn't see himself as a son anymore. He sees how his dad treats his servants. So now he's living in a new identity. His failure has placed upon him a new layer of identity. He's not even seeing himself as his son. Has his father ever seen him anything other than a son? Of course not. He's going to always be a son, no matter what. But because of his sin, he's got to deal with now, well, look at me. I'm a failure. I'm hopeless. Look what I did to my dad. I've wasted everything. I can't go home, but I need to go home. Well, I can't go home as a son. I think I'll go home as a servant. I think I'll go home was the best thing he thought everything else was messing him up. <laughs> and let me just say, when you're in trouble and you're in crisis, the worst person to talk to is yourself. You know how you get up in your head, processing it all? I'm horrible. No, you're not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. No, you're not. I don't know. My dad, my dad, my servant. He comes to his senses. And the moment, the moment that he begins to receive the love of his father, is when he goes home. He doesn't know what he's going to get. He doesn't know how it's going to be. He just knows he's got to go home. When you forgive your past, you've got to go home. You've got to go back to your loving Heavenly Father. Well, we see his character here. He's going to throw you a party. doesn't mean he's going to approve of everything. I'm sure they had conversations later. I'm sure there was fatherly help later, good advice later. But before we get into any of that, you know what the Father wants? He wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to remember no matter what you do, he loves you.
and you're always welcome at home. You're always welcome to come home. We may have to work some things out. We may have to talk some things through. But you don't need to be stuck in your prodigal living because you don't want to come home. Just forgive yourself. Here's another way of looking at that. There are some in the room today, some listening in from afar, that would describe it this way, and I've heard it, and it wasn't until a few years ago that I've come up with this illustration to describe it. But here's what's happening behind the scenes. You look at your life, or a point in your life, or a time in your life, or your entire life up to this point, and you think this. You, you know, Pastor, if you knew what I did and how bad I was, I, I, I have been so bad. People know some of it, but other people don't know anything of what I've done. Only I know. I'm the only one that knows how bad I am and how bad of sin, how, how, how many mistakes I've made and how, what's been going on in my mind, what I've been doing behind the scenes, what I do in secret. And you know what? If I was God, I wouldn't forgive me. And so therefore, you don't forgive you. And you're just stuck there, living that same exact life that gets worse and worse. But you know, there's a Bible word for that. There's a Bible word. When you start to say, if I was God, there's a Bible word for that. You know what it is? Idolatry. I don't know if you've ever considered that your unwillingness to obey God and receiving his forgiveness is actually idolatry. You have made yourself to be God. And let me just say, thank God you're not God because my God forgives even that sin. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. Even the one you're stuck in. He can make a change if you will come to him. You've got to be like this guy. Come home. Come home. You'll meet a father that loves you. And when you come home, always expect the other son's still there. And he's stuck in self-righteousness. I didn't leave. I've been so faithful. Yeah, bro, but you will not forgive your son. You won't even forgive your brother. He's just that son of yours. Like you, you, that's a different issue for a different Bible study. But that does speak to the place of, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I, I've, I've been a Christian my whole life. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I wasn't with you your whole life, but I do have this question to ask you. Do you have a relationship with God where you recognize that he's your father and what he says goes? Are you demonstrating the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Are you living in such a way that honors God with all your time, with all your talent, with all your treasures? God is not calling you home to beat you up. He's calling you home to heal you. And you must learn how to forgive your past. And just be careful. There's always the, uh, there's always the older brother, too, that's not going to be happy you're changed. They're not going to be happy that you're walking with God. Not going to be happy that you are a born-again believer. There's just that. That's just the way it is, and you've got to learn. Navigate around it. Love and care and serve and be available to your family and friends because the truth is the Father forgives the repentant. And when you come to the place where you say, I'm so sick of my sin, I just hate it, you know that God's working in you. He's calling you to himself. So just come. Number three, turn over to Psalm 103, would you? Psalm 103. It's our final point for our time today. We have a couple sub-points on it. Psalm 103. Not only does God have you to forget your past and forgive your past, but thirdly, he wants you to forsake your past. And we see this so beautifully in Psalm 103. Forsake it. The word literally means let it drop or let it sink. The idea is that sinking to the bottom of the reservoir, you know, or the ocean. Just let it sink. Drop it. 
Let it go. Move forward. All these words surround that. Notice in verse 8 of Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He won't always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions for us. And here verse 13 is a poor translation. It says, as a father pities his children. It makes it sound like God feels sorry for us and pities us, but that's not the Hebrew word here. The New Living Translation has it best. And he, he says, as a dad has compassion on his kids. The word is compassion. Like when a dad sees their daughter fail or a dad sees when their uh, mom sees when their son fails, they just want to help. They can't undo it, but they want to help them get out of it or get forward or help. That's the heart here is God loves us like we love our kids. So then that's, that's the comparison. His father loves his kids, so the Lord pities or has compassion on those who fear him because he knows us. It says in verse 14, he remembers that we are but dust. If God has chosen to drop our past, we must agree with God and let it sink. That's what forsake literally means. When it says in verse two, two, or 12, excuse me, so far he has removed our transgressions, that word remove literally means to throw or to cast away or to drive away our sins. He's not dwelling on our sins, holding them against us. He's forgiven them. Jesus Christ has paid the price. When we forsake our past, we let it sink into the sea of forgetfulness. We let it drop. We let it go. It's back there, but we're right here. And that's an important distinction to make. There's no condemnation. I think Paul was clear in Romans 8. Now, every time you read Romans 8, 1, it reminds you right now. When is there no condemnation? Right now, right now, right in this moment. God is not condemning you. Jesus, it says in John 3, did not come to condemn but to save. But it's still a real issue because it seems impossible. It just seems impossible. And in many ways, it is. You're not going to be, I'm not your life coach up here trying to coach you in life. Like, well, Pastor Ed, the new life coach is going to give you three things you can do the rest of your life. That's not how it works. I'm not saying there's not room for life coach and mentors and people to help. That's not what I'm speaking to but pastors, they're not life coaches. They're telling you the truth about your life. That if you put into practice what God's word says, you will see change. But you have to believe God. You have to believe that the Bible is true. They have to believe that these principles are universal. It's not just something you try. I meet people all the time. Well, you know, I tried that. This is not about trying. This is about doing, about surrender, about acknowledging the faithfulness of God in your life. By acknowledging, even if you don't believe right now, how many changed lives are in this room right now? I mean, how many people? I know. Go ahead. Raise your hand so everybody can see. All right. So there's quite a few changed lives. The rest of you, we're going to raise your hand because I know you didn't want to. That's fine. I mean, I know we're talking about real life issues. And I know, you know, I have to deal with it because now I got to think, geez, my past is always, I wake up to my past. I don't know about you. I wake up to it. And I just can't walk into the bedroom and, or into the bathroom and look in the mirror. Okay, Ed, 
Today's going to be a good day. You're like, I'm the problem. <laughs> Telling the problem back to the problem. Like that, it, it, I need someone outside of me that will help me live my life for Christ. And so do you. You can just jot it down in Luke chapter 6. It's another illustration of impossibility. You remember the guy that Jesus came? You could read it later today. But he came to him, and it, the Bible says that he had a withered hand. He had a withered hand. And so what is Jesus? He comes up to him and tells him, stretch out your hand, which is a hard thing to hear if you have a withered hand. Because I'm sure this guy, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, sent the signal from his brain down his shoulder, down his arm, and he sent that signal move, maybe 100 times a day. Maybe he woke up in the morning. Maybe today my hand. Maybe today I'll get use. Maybe today will change, only to find each time withered, 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 where perhaps he might have caught to the point where I'm not going to do that anymore. I mean, this is the way it is in my life. I got a withered hand. Impossible. When Jesus says, stay, just stretch it out, his response could have been, bro, you don't understand. That's the very thing I can't do. You're telling me to do something I cannot do. And if that's a dialogue, it's, that's not in the scriptures. We are thinking of how it might have been if we were that person. And we're thinking, man, that, that, I can't do that. I've heard other, I, that's impossible. And it's almost like God, Jesus is going to just do it. And you know, the Bible says he did. And his hand was healed. Supernaturally. Which tells us something about the work of God in our lives. And that's this. If God says to do something, he will give you the power to do it, even if it's impossible. He will give you the power to change. Your mind will be healed. Your body will be healed. You have purpose and meaning in life. It's true. You know, when, I'm, when hope is withered up, when I'm paralyzed and I'm struggling with my past, Jesus enters in. He draws near. It's almost like he is attached to people in pain. He comes and he gives us a command. We could respond, no, I won't do that. But then who's that on? Is that because God has no power or is it because you're disobedient? You're going to be responsible. God's not going to be responsible. You are. With purpose in your heart, you can obey. God, had, God works in believers both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so I know it's impossible, but those are the perfect places where God gets all the glory for great things he has done. I mean, we have testimony times all the time. And when people give a testimony, we're like, yes, yes, yay, look at the impossible, look what's happening. And we rejoice for sure when I hear a testimony. But at the same time, I don't want you to forget that testimony came out of an impossibility and a very deep pain point. Whether it's layers of trauma you grew up with, whether it's grief or sudden death or injustice or on and on. Some of you have layer upon layer upon layer upon layer, and it's like, oh, it's impossible. No, not with God. He can help, and he will help. So just stretch out your hand, church. Stretch out your hand and obey him. Well, let me give you one more final thought. Turn over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. When it comes to your past, I'm just telling you, there will always be people that will not let you forget your past. You just got to learn how to live with them. I mean, you could go a month and you're just like, man, I'm so happy. Look at what God is doing. It's amazing. And there's always somebody, yeah, but. And they'll remind you of your past. 
Remember the last time in our Bible study I said, when the devil reminds you of your, of your past, then what do you respond? You remind him of his future. Like, there's always going to be people. But that's the spiritual realm. In the physical realm, there are always people that will not let you forget. And it not only, it's not always negative. You know, I've shared with you before, when I go back to California, I'm teaching and I'm visiting friends. You know, I have friends I grew up with where since I was a kiddo, we did all kinds of bad things together. Inevitably, stories of my past will come up and we kind of chuckle and we go and I'm kind of curious because I don't remember it all and we chuckle. But then, you know, at the end, I'm like, yeah, I was so bad. It's like such a battle. It's like, man, I was so bad. I didn't even know I was that bad. I got another story and another story. But, you know, God is faithful that way. So, so they're, they're just, it's not, it doesn't always have to be negative. That's my point. And in James chapter 2, notice with me in verse 25, it says, Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when we, she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This woman Rahab, Rahab, we meet her in the Bible earlier on in the Old Testament she, she's the woman that receives the Jewish spies that are coming in as the children of Israel are coming into the promised land in the book of Joshua in the city of Jericho. We meet her as Rahab the harlot. She's a prostitute. She sells her body for sex. That's how she makes a living. That's what she's known as. It's that Rahab. She's Rahab the harlot. That's one of the reasons why the men might have gone to her home because they would be less seen and known because there were men coming in and out of her home all the time. But you see, that encounter with those men changed her life. She completely changed. She, by faith, as you know the story, put that red cord out, and when the city was destroyed, her and her family were saved. She's mentioned in the Bible all the way at the end about her faithfulness, about her good works. She's Rahab, but we know her as Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, the sex worker, but you know, she's not Rahab the harlot anymore. God changed her. And I realize that in the Bible that's identifying this particular Rahab, but there are always people that want to attach your sin to your name. That I know your name, but you're the one that. Because we, we, we have a great habit of labeling people. So, so I want to prepare you today, not only for your own life, but for when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, I don't want you walking around heaven saying, I want to meet Rahab, Rahab the harlot. And then the angel comes by and goes, bam. They go, what's going on up here? Well, I thought heaven was nice. You're like, hey, we don't talk like that in heaven. There's no harlots in heaven. Are you looking for Rahab the sister? She's over there. You're looking for Rahab the redeemed? She's right there. You're looking for Rahab the changed life? You're looking for Rahab the one that is greatly loved by God? She's over there. But don't you call her the harlot. She's not that anymore. You, know, you think of Thomas. You know, somebody you're looking for Thomas in heaven. Well, you know, I want to look for doubting Thomas. And then another angel, bam, knocks you around. No, no, there's no doubting in heaven. And even so, why do we label him that way? I don't think Thomas was doubting personally. I just think he's one of those guys that likes more information. So give it, give more. You have all these guys at work asking you questions, give them the answers. You don't have to call them names. Just give them the answers they're looking for and let God sort it out. He's not doubting Thomas. He's Thomas, the man of faith that stuck his hand in the wounds of Jesus. How about Peter? Peter gets a bad rap. You go up into heaven, where's Peter? Which Peter? Well, you know, the denier. Like, don't do that. 
The one that sank when he walked on water. Yeah, when he walked on water. <laughs> Go out to the reservoir today and try it for yourself. You'll be a sinker too. Like Peter, like if you think Peter is just a denier and a faithless man, you haven't read your Bible. You need to read your Bible because you're listening to people that label people and you need to stop it because the label you have as a believer is you are in Christ. You are greatly beloved. You have a future and a hope. You are not tied to your past sin. There is something greater and more wonderful for you. You are not stuck in victimhood the rest of your life. God will heal you in your grief. He will give you purpose in the injustice. You just want to look to him and follow him and he will help you. We all have imperfect lives and we all are going to deal with issues, but we're going to do it together and we don't have to be stuck. I, I know that's a word I keep, I, I just sense like that's a word some of you, like you're like, I'm stuck and I'm telling you right now, you don't need to be. God can move you forward. Even if it's just a baby step, even if it's just one little thing, maybe you have to start describing yourself by the newness of life. You have to stop calling yourself the harlot. You need to stop calling yourself the failure. You need to stop calling yourself, and you, whatever the label is, as we just get accustomed to, God wants to do a new thing. The Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when you learn your identity in Christ, who you are, the way God sees you, there, nobody's going to stop you. Not even you. These things come against you. You're going to live more than conquerors in Christ. Jesus has freed you and given you life. And his liberty will cause you not to have a dead faith, not to have a useless faith, not to have a lifeless faith, but one that brings great glory and honor to our Heavenly Father. And God wants us to deal with our past so we can live a bright future. We're going to take it along. It is a part of our testimony. If I have to say, share my testimony, I know we get a little bit of laughs and, and uh, I, try to, I try to make it a little lighter because it's so bad. I share a little bit of my life with you, but man, you guys have no idea, and you never will. It's not going to be for public. It's not going to be that way. It's just something I'm taking to the Lord. It doesn't need. God gets enough glory with the stuff that you know. But I mean, geez, the, the, the enemy would have you buried under the weight of your past, and God says, no, that's a small thing in my matter. You just come to me, and you bring your past with you. And I'll give you purpose and meaning because I can say in many ways the things that I've learned, the life that I've lived, the streets I grew up on, they have made me a more effective man and useful for God. They have helped me. I wouldn't want to go that way. I would have rather gone to school, got my degree, and move into the world that way. But through bad decisions left and right, God had a different path for me. And I can look back now, and one day you will too. I can look back now and I say, okay, Lord, I can see a little bit of how you use that. I can appreciate the fact that you have something to rescue me from. And that's God's will for your life as well. Amen? So, Father, thank you for your word today and the reality of um, how you want to use this Bible study. I pray for the book, Lord, as it is used in people's lives. I know kind of reading it, it's such a heavy topic and it's hard to believe it, but it's true. And let my life be a living testimony and, and all the hands in here. Jeez, I'm not alone. 
All the people that were yelling at me online and on the radio going, me too, me too, me too. We're walking testimonies of your faithfulness. I pray that you, God, would be glorified. And even as, again, through the entirety of our time uh, today, God, just this little gift that you've given us, the men and women that are flying over us, we thank you for the men and women in the military, the families that sacrifice and support the freedoms that we enjoy. Even right now, the freedom we enjoy comes at great sacrifice. I think of the first responders and the officers and the, uh, the firefighters and paramedics. There's so many standing in the gap on our behalf of which we are grateful. We're grateful, God. Protect them and get them home to their families tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week. 